We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me wanna. of the Rock Pal Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. Deep breath, Chris. I know you hate it when I do these things. I watch you roll your eyes, and it, it, it brings me some joy to antagonize. Nobody's going to know what you're talking about because they're not going to hear it because I'm cutting it out. Because <laughs> his production, folks, is top-notch. I love throwing wrenches into his... I, it's a petty thing that I love watching my producer suffer while trying to produce a, a quality-sounding podcast despite my vocal shenanigans. Guys, we've reached the end. The draft is over. The schedule's out. We've talked about all this stuff, but we've got one petty little piece of business that I just can't let go. Because let's face it, that's our station. That's who we are when it comes to Bill's content, right? 100%. Hard-drinking, vindictive, ridiculous people that for some reason you guys can't get enough of. (laughs) So I have a bone to pick with the mock draft community. And we brought in someone familiar with the practice to help us further the conversation in a segment that I think may become an annual occurrence, our Mocking the Mocks 2021 with Pat Moran of the Talking Buffalo Podcast. How are you doing tonight, sir? What's going on, guys? How are you doing? I'm pretty well. <laughs> I'm doing well. You see, d- did you catch that on the video feed where you're watching us? Just Chris's utter disdain for the things that I do. <laughs> yeah, he did. Right. It took about three seconds for him to, uh, for that smile to be gone, man. It was, that was kind of funny on the video side. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> Folks, if those of you listening at home, you have no idea what I put Chris through on a weekly basis. I love every second of it. He deserves it. Don't feel sorry for him. Yeah, our podcast sounds professional, but you're not professional. Never have been, never will be. Uh, Pat Moran, host of the Talking Buffalo podcast, a football dad and wing ranker extraordinaire. And it's funny because his updated wing rankings recently came out over at moreanalytics.com. Before we jump into this, you know, <laughs> all the schadenfreude over mock drafts, first of all, I know we talked a little bit about how you got into this practice last time. I took a look over your list and something jumped out to me. Sports City. I don't even know where this place is. In fact, the only time I've ever heard anything or seen anything about it was on your Twitter feed. What can you tell me about this place? Well, first and foremost, I got to give credit to, to Sal Capaccio because I, I would not have went there were it not for him. I like I had never heard of the place before, and I grew up on the west side. So, um, well, it's relatively new. I think it's been around for maybe four years. But first it was Sal Capaccio. I pay attention to people who talk about wing stuff all the time on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. And Sal mentioned something to me that the wings and, and the pizza were really good. And then Josh Reed from Channel 4 shared his sentiments, and they brought guys there a few times. So when I was in Buffalo a handful of weeks or so ago, I said, well, you know what? I, my son was with me, and I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to try this place. And uh, I, wa- I so I drove past it, 
and my first thoughts were like, eh. because <laughs> it doesn't look like, you know, it doesn't look like nothing much from the outside. And it's also on Niagara Street where construction's going on and, you know, parking is just absolutely horrendous. I got lucky, though. I did actually find a spot right in front. I can't imagine when it's busy how parking must be. And that's the way it is with a lot of things like in downtown and, and the west side of Buffalo and stuff like that. But I'll tell you, man, I, I walked in. I was like, whoa. I didn't expect this. I was blown away. This is a nice-looking sports bar. TVs all over the place, really clean, uh, very modern-looking, and uh, which that's all fine and dandy. And by the way, it's not a place where you go and have Coors Light or Bud Lights, which are my lane. It's a brewery where you go and get you know the good stuff. So I sat down and, and I got wings and, and, and two slices of pizza, and I'm just blown away, man. It's Okay, so it's unbelievable. I, well, I saw you tweet out a picture of Cajun wings. Now, here's the thing: hot, medium, mild. If you're a pizzeria or a bar bar restaurant that has wings, if you can't execute those, you're probably out of business very quickly. But Cajun wings are hard because some places make them almost. It's just like straight pepper. Like if that's what you want to do, just call them pepper wings. <laughs> There's not right. enough of the other Cajun flavors that really make it. So I saw you tweet out that you had had them. Are they worth me? Taking time to go down there and try them. I think they are. I love them, and I know what you're saying, and you're 100% right. I've had, quote-unquote, different types of Cajun seasoning wings where it is. It's just nothing but heavy pepper and salt, and to the point where like over it's overbearing. Yeah. You can't even really taste the wing anymore. I personally didn't think these were like that at all. Ugh. I really liked them a lot. And it's not that they had... The best wings, I mean, they were very good. And I think we had hot wings. And actually, we had medium wings. And they, they were very, very good. But the pizza was also very good. Of all the places, I would say, except for maybe that I've had, maybe Macy's, they have the best combination of wings and pizza of anywhere in Western New York. Like, I think Barbell and Elmo's, you know, they have the best wings. And there's some pizza places that only have great pizza. This place, whichever one you want, they had both, and what separated them from Macy's is Macy's is a little takeout place. You know oh, I mean? for you sure, yeah, you can't eat. If the three of us were to go sit down and eat, that, that's not going to happen there. Where oh, you can barely park, park there. You and me, right. you, me, and your son would have a hard time standing in the Macy's parking lot together, much less <laughs> sitting down and yeah, eating but, there. <laughs> now their food's good enough. I'll sit there in the parking lot and eat it, and still enjoy it at Macy's. But yeah, it's, their food sports city uh, place. It was really this is just me it, being it a jerk. I didn't expect it. This is just me being a jerk. But uh, Macy's Macy's place is their their food is good if you want to wear a raincoat while you do it because a pizza with pizza logs and onion rings and half a pound of hell. Jalapeno poppers. Yeah, then you can keep all that. I, I don't need that. Um, there's one thing, too, that stuck out to me about just wing rankings in general. And you're one of the people who seem to agree with, or at least my sentiments on this, or lean the way I do. And I need to pick your brain. Good bar. Mr. Good bar. I see people, I've been told personally by people, oh, good bar wings. You've got to try it. It's, it's the best. Blah, 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 blah. When I think of the bar, the establishment, Mr. Good bar. I think of them as Ying's downtown. And by Ying's downtown, what I mean is that it seems like it's kind of a dump, but not the charming dump. Like, hey, that's a older corner bar that everybody's been going to for 30 years and they just never bothered to change. Like, the, like Chris, like the GBP in yeah. Lancaster. Not the nicest bar in the entire world, but it's a, it's a, a I don't know what you want to call it, but it's like a established thing in the community. They don't have to update or change because they're still going to pack the place, right? It's a dive bar, but it knows it's a dive bar, and it does that really well. Good bar is like Ying's nightclub over on French Road where you walk through the front door. Like, the first thing that goes through your head is, I hope my shots are up to date. And then none of these weirdos start talking to me. <laughs> so in that way, there's no way in hell I'm buying wings from there. You probably have a less chance of getting stabbed at Good Bar. Probably. I'd say that that's probably true. So in that way, though, I've become really frustrated with people who keep telling me to get my wings from this place. And yet when I look at your wing rankings, Good Bar comes in relatively low on this list. I mean, what, do you agree with me that this is probably a questionable place to prioritize for chicken wings? Well, I went there because, well, for two, number one, when I think of Good Bar... I grew up on the West Side, and I think of being in college and underage drinking and being able to get in there. So yeah. I was, I've been going there for a very, very long time. 
I heard a lot of people talk, tell me the wings were good. And I, I vividly actually remember this. It was a Saturday. I don't know how I remember this, but I remember this very well. I went there on a Saturday afternoon. It was, um, what, well, not last summer, two summers ago, because we sat on the patio and the wings, for whatever reason, were highly recommended. And I was really, really disappointed. I get what you're saying about the bar. I, I don't know the, the Yings comparison because I'm not familiar with that place. Thank God. Everything you, everything you said about good bar is true. <laughs> I think it's uh, its reputation is is bigger than maybe than, than what it is. Because everybody be. who likes to relive the glory days when they're like, oh, I remember being here when I was in college. It's like it's like when you run into an old like like a college girlfriend and you're like, oh, man, I remember that girl. Like we had such a good time together. She was hot you know, all this stuff. And then you run into her when you're in your 30s and you see her and you're like, wow, time has not been kind. This is not as <laughs> And then you start talking to them or you start talking to them and you realize that maybe that person isn't as cool as you thought they were. They're actually kind of a train wreck. Just you were on the same path. So you didn't notice. Like that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think going in there when I was 18 or 19 was was uh more memorable in a good way than going there when I'm in my 40s. Now, this <laughs> is hilarious. The wings were not good, though. I, I remember the wings and they were very very disappointing in fact there's two places in particular when it comes to wings that i i was just recommended over and over and over again that i heard that they were good and just incredibly disappointed one of them was good bar and the other one was that place in uh north tonawanda uh dwyer's dwyer's i think dwyer's irish pub those are the two places that i I still to this day remember as standouts for me that i i was told these wings going to be really good and then when they came out i was just like and they, they didn't do anything for me. <laughs> I, Just being honest, man. No, this is one of the. So, so here, you know, we have a professional wing ranker here. We're talking to on the <laughs> podcast. I have a group chat with Mark Smith, our our lawyer, the lawyer for the Rockpile Report, and Chris. Usually, we use that to coordinate things for football Sundays. And since the season has ended, you know, we, we go back and forth. We have various conversations. Recently, Chris and Mark have decided that it's a good idea to flood our group chat with their chicken sandwich reviews. Yeah. The two of these idiots are comparing fast food chicken sandwiches and rating them and trying to apply like some kind of hierarchy to them. Uh, Chris, why? Why are you doing this to me? Why not? The chicken sandwich. Chick-fil-A, obviously, number one. They're the goat of chicken sandwiches. Anyone could have told you that, though. I don't. Yeah. Ac- I don't actually have to go eat Popeyes to know that Chick Fil A is better. Yeah, but then everybody else has a different two, three, four, five. Who cares? I care. Who cares about fast food chicken sandwiches? I care. I. I would put Zaxby's two and then Raising Cane's three. I don't know. <laughs> People up here don't probably don't know those. They probably see Zaxby's commercials on That's TV. That's why this is so stupid. Because you're, you're there's you a Zaxby's are, five minutes from my house in Florida, by the way, and I absolutely love Zaxby's. You guys are naming chicken sandwiches that people will never have, that I will never eat. <laughs> what do I care about the power rankings of things, something I'm never going to eat? Well, uh, my uh, my girlfriend's dad, my face is getting hot just looking at you. My girlfriend's dad, he has his own rankings, and he has KFC number one. Ooh, which is KFC's like five. Well, I'll say this. All I know is that in my book, any sandwich that either one of you put in your mouths and it doesn't manage to choke you into unconsciousness gets a zero in my book. That's it. <laughs> Folks, if you want if you want solid wing reviews, go check out moreanalytics.com. Uh, I feel like I've done it, Chris. I've warmed up the, the petty muscles. We, you know, we've done a little workout here. I've gotten some digs in on both you, on some establishments that had nothing. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't do anything to me, and yet I took my shots anyway because that's, I think I'm ready to dive into this draft conversation. First of all, Pat, your thoughts on the Bills 2021 draft class? Um, well, my first thought was, and again, I'm being completely honest with you, my knee-jerk reaction was I absolutely hated it at first um, because... I went into this draft, and as I look back now and I've had time to reflect on it, I, I've come around. But at the moment, at that time, I went into this draft thinking that I wanted one or two guys that were going to help them right now immediately and maybe be even that missing piece that would help put the Bills over the hump in the AFC or whether it was Kansas City or wherever else might be there at the top. And my knee-jerk reaction was I didn't feel like that this draft really accomplished that they took two defensive ends with their first two picks who 
And again, I did come around. I understand the value of these picks long term. But in terms of 2021, I'm like, there's your third or maybe even your fourth and fifth defensive ends with your first two picks as they come in, at least as rookies anyway. And then in rounds three, well, they didn't have a four. So rounds three and five, you take two offensive tackles, which currently at this time, I felt and I still feel offensive tackle is one of the biggest strengths of this football team. I mean, they just re-signed Daryl Williams for three years and Deion Dawkins has played very well. They signed him to an extension. So that position is short up. So my knee-jerk reaction was I didn't like the draft at all. I came in thinking if they could go out and if they could get, whether it be a cornerback who could start as a rookie ahead of Levi Wallace or maybe a, a wide receiver who could bring something different to the offense right now as a rookie or the guy that we spent a lot of time talking about during this prep process, Travis Etienne. I went into the draft hoping that somebody like him could give this offense a different dynamic than what they currently have. That was my knee-jerk reaction. Again, as uh, the process played out and I sat down and thought about it, it does make great sense because now you're talking years two, year three of the of these rookie deals. You're going to have two defensive end, potentially anyway, two defensive end starters, where if you take their money and you take the Spencer Brown's money and you had all three of them up, they're going to make less than Mario Addison's making this year. Oh, for so sure. I, this draft to me was more about I mean, we should have we should have saw it coming and taking Brandon Bean at his word. This draft was more about the long term than the short term. And that absolutely um, turned out to be true, because when you look at this draft, it's completely about the, the big picture in the long term. So, oh, absolutely. And I think I called it I called it underwhelming, but practical. See, and I think that you're you're like a lot of fans in that regard. A lot of fans felt turned off. They were turned off by this draft because they felt like it didn't do enough in the immediacy to help this football team go win a Super Bowl in 2021. And I think that there's also, I mean, I think that you could tell, even though Brandon Bean did throw it out there, like, hey, our first over, our first pick in the first round, we're not thinking about 2021. He right. warned everybody. And you could tell by not only the disappointment in some fans, but also the mock drafts. The mock drafts that were put together, it's like almost like people didn't believe him when he said it. And so in that way, a lot of that shaded what these results turned out to be. Now, as all of you know, I think mock drafts are horrifically pointless. And yet here we are talking about them again because my pettiness outweighs my disdain for the practice. So in that way, we've declared this no longer hashtag draft season. It's now hashtag accountability season. First and foremost, I want to get a couple pieces of business out of the way before we dive into this so that there's no confusion. Participation in this exercise was completely and wholly involuntary. Okay? I didn't ask anybody, hey, do you want to be a part of this? You don't get a say. Do you want to know why? Because I feel like if people didn't want their mock drafts scored and talked about, then you probably shouldn't have thrown them on the internet for public consumption. I mean, is that fair, Pat? Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> if you put your name to it, you put it out on Twitter or Facebook <laughs> or the anywhere on the internet. You got to own it afterwards, good or bad. Yeah, that's fair. I, ke I kept this year's competition to just people who submitted written format mocks, published mocks. I mean, you podcasters, guys from the Circling the Wagons, the Cold Front Report, you guys are lucky that I have a kid and a full-time job or I would have dragged you into this disaster too, okay? Kicking and screaming, you would have been a part of this. And for those of you listening at home, you might disagree with my methods and the science that I applied to this which is kind of funny when you think about it because there is no science to the practice of mock drafting. But if you think you can do better, I encourage you to try because the results of this are pretty fun. <laughs> Just to give you an idea of the breakdown of my scoring, here's the way the point structure lays out for this exercise. I took everybody's mocks. I broke it down into two categories, if you will, two divisions. Uh, seven round, uh, just, hey, people who just did the seven round mock where they just forecasted the Bills' original draft picks. And then I created a, a separate category for the full first round mock draft. People who tried to go from one to 32 and forecast all of the picks. It's kind of like the difference between the FCS and FBS and NCAA football. It, the point structure works like this in all in both brackets. Wherever you selected a player to go, whatever round you prognosticated a player would be drafted in, if you were spot on, so if you said Trevor Lawrence was the first overall pick, your score for that pick would be zero. 
If Trevor Lawrence had dropped to number two, you would get a score of one for that pick. And so on and so forth. Every draft slot that that player was taken away from where you prognosticated them, you were given one more point added to that pick's total. And then at the end, you were given a score. (laughs) That score gets stacked up against everybody else's score, and we see who did great and who shit the bed. I mean, that all sounds pretty fair in what's ultimately an unfair kind of contest. Right, Pat? Yeah, I completely agree. I I mean, I personally did not do an entire mock. Um, But yeah, everything you said, it makes sense for scoring. And uh, I'm interested in in seeing how some of these guys did. And and, uh, I'll let you, because I'm I'm looking at what I would have done in my mind. As, As you're talking, I'm thinking, all right, so I did not do a full mock. I, me and uh, myself and Aaron Quinn, we did six shows and we did a mock draft just for the bills based on what the computer simulated for the other teams. Mm-hmm. But as I'm going through this list, cause I'm looking at the first round picks, I'm looking and I'm like, I, yeah, I wouldn't have done well. So you'd be making a lot of fun of me right now. Had I put out a mock draft on Moranalytics.com like I do my wing rankings or something, you'd be having a field day with me. Oh, I'd be, I, I, and I, and I'd enjoy every second of it. Now, what he's not telling you folks is that he has in front of him an Excel spreadsheet with two tabs. I've literally, I've got there, folks, I don't half-ass things. It may be a half-ass exercise, but I whole-ass everything that I put my time into. So I have an entire breakdown of what, so just starting with the seven-round Bills mocks, I've got a charting of all the, all the rounds, the picks, everyone, everyone involved, and then that scored. It's a complete breakdown with totals. It's the whole thing. Is this something you would have committed your free time to, Pat? What you did? Yeah. Hell no. <laughs> what you did? Well, actually, for the purpose of, of shame, maybe. Maybe, right? I mean, not to your extent, though. But yeah, I mean, you put a lot of work into this. I got the sheet open. I'm like, wow, man, this is a, it's this intense. Is a lot of work. It's this is in- like a this is literally a project that you partook in. Absolutely. You would wonder if uh, it was a Judge Mathis over at Buffalo Fanatics would have put this much work into it because... You know, considering he thinks he's on my level in terms of petty. Yeah. We're actually going to have some to point this summer a petty off between he and I. Uh, Judge Landers from the Fanatics Group is going to referee it. It's going to be a great time. You people are all at home. You maybe think you know, but you don't know the death. <laughs> Just what a terrible person I can be. It's pretty great. The this- only person I can think of that I know that would potentially do something that is laid out like this very well done by the way in, in spreadsheet format is Joe Biscaglia he's the only guy I could think of potentially that would do it because Joe's a big spreadsheet guy too but, Chris look at this yeah. look, look at it back to back weeks I've gotten I've gotten compared to Joe Biscaglia I had Kentley Platty tell me that I'm, I'm smart and that my research was in depth and insightful Chris are we turning over a leaf here Kent was just being nice <laughs> so we start with the seven round mocks now this division was fun for a few reasons First and foremost, because of the seven people that I scored, well, I think there's eight by the time I'm all of a sudden done. From the Fanatics crew to media members uh, Dan Feet and the Democrat and Chronicle Sarah Mariana, Sal Mariana, not a single person involved picked a player that was ultimately drafted by the Bills. <laughs> not a single yeah. one. You'd almost think that with that many, I mean, I, it almost makes me question how many of these would I have to aggregate before somebody got a pick right. Well, if you would have added me, you, you would add me to the list of people who did not get a single bill right either. So, I mean, <laughs> See? again, I, I can't smack talk anybody when I would have had that because I have my my. Well, I should say, you know what? Aaron Quinn deserves half the blame for this, too. It's not just me. So. Oh, absolutely. And no, he, listen, Aaron he and I, more our picks, blame. we did a seventh round with Bill's picks only, and we ultimately didn't end up. Uh, with anyone at the Bills. So, although, to be fair, I think our draft's better than anyone's that I'm looking at. <laughs> Throwing a little shade of your own. <laughs> so there were some interesting trends. So so just to read off the list of people who were involved, uh, Pierre, Bobby, and Rico from the Bills Fanatics, along with Judge Mathis from the, the Bills Guys, or now the Air Raid Hour podcast, uh, Dan Feetz, Sal Mariana, and Greg Thompson from over at Cover One. So one of the trends that I noticed when I was looking at how these guys set up their mock drafts is that five of the seven took defensive players with that 30th pick. 
And the two who took offensive players, Dan Feetz said in off, he's the only one that thought an offensive skill player made sense. Now, as somebody who in your own mock had a seven, said Travis Etienne would have been your guy. Does it surprise you that that many people thought that it should have been a defensive pick to begin with? No, I, I, we ultimately went with Travis Etienne in our final mock, but I anticipated, I, I mean, that's what I, w- I was hoping for. And also, again, when we did ours, what was a little bit different is we did ours in real time and we really didn't have any control whatsoever over the, the picks in front of us. And we literally would just find out just seconds before we ultimately had to make the pick. There were a couple defensive ends that I probably would have taken before him had they been there which still would have ended up being the wrong picks. Well, actually, no. I'm, uh, let me take that back. They actually both were available when the Bills ended up picking in the real draft. Uh, Jason Owa and, and Joe Tyron were both available in the real draft, and we ended up passing over both of them for Travis Etienne. But I think generally speaking, I think people came into this draft expecting the Bills to take a defensive end. I think it's a little bit more of a surprise, or at least it was, Back on April 29th, a little more of a surprise that it was the guy himself, Gregory Rousseau, that they took. Because even beyond the guys that you have scored, because I know you kept score for guys who did a mock for uh, all Bills picks. I know Marcel-Louis Jacques is, he's the only guy that I know of anyway, at least in the Buffalo media, that actually correctly picked Greg Rousseau in his, well, again, he only did the Bills pick for round one, so he didn't do an entire draft, but... I'm not that surprised that more people want defensive end. So when I look at this, though, the, I mean, let, let's just get into this. When I tell you, when I try, because we're, we're here to talk about who finished where, right? Who won? Who lost? Who stinks at this and should quit? <laughs> so, <laughs> Sal Mariana, I give him credit for getting in on the act. I think this is one of the first times he's done anything with mock drafts. And he actually didn't do as poorly as I thought he might have. I mean, he finished in fourth place. And that's not me being ageist. I mean, he is the oldest guy of the group, but he's also a guy whose prime social media usage, from what I can tell, just revolves around using Twitter to live, angrily live tweet every Yankees game and to complain about the parking tickets he gets around downtown Rochester. Like that's, that's, so when I see that, I, mean, I think to myself, I don't think this is a guy who really gets mock drafting, and I assume he's probably going to bomb. And he didn't. He finished in fourth, which is respectable out of seven guys, right? Yeah, for sure. The bitter Twitter sale. <laughs> and you, you know it's funny you say that about the Yankees because I w- I'm a Yankees fan, and you would think they've never won a game if you just go by his Twitter. Even when they <laughs> win, they win ugly. Like the Yankees won a, a game a couple nights ago, I had 3-1, to one, and I would have thought they lost 11 nothing the way he was uh, – he was tweeting, yeah, but I would not have picked him to actually sit down and do a, a Bills mock draft. But, yeah, I'm looking at – I'll tell you what, his first-round pick is a guy that if I could do this draft over right now today, if the Bills were on the clock and those first 29 picks went the way they did, I think, he had, yeah, he had Asante Samuel Jr. To this day, I, I'd be happy if the Bills would have taken him. Well, and that's the thing. When you look at Greg Thompson's mock, Greg Thompson ended up being our winner with Dan Feetz right behind him. And I know this because when I looked at their scores, I said, okay, here's what you're doing. Greg did an interesting thing where he traded the final two picks of the draft. And so I approached him about this and we talked about how it's difficult to score your nonsense here. What do you want me to do? And he and I actually worked on a formula that broke down how many wrong per pick. So broke it down to a points per pick average and then spread it out over seven picks. He ended up with a score of 153. And when I applied that same logic to some of the other guys, Dan Fates, uh, he finished with a score of 187. Those are both pretty good when you factor in nobody else in the contest scored under 300. (laughs) That's that's pretty impressive, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, to to their credit, both of them, I mean, one of them does sports professionally. The other one thinks he does sports professionally. Um, <laughs> he was professionally representing the Bills at the draft on TV. Yeah, yeah, he's 
he's he, he you know what he can go ahead I mean with a haircut like that I I guess he can go ahead and try to be like <laughs> he makes for a nice headshot for Bills Mafia I, I was busting that. on Greg a little bit I said look don't ever try to say you're not a Bills fan first and foremost when you're doing your podcast when I'm watching you on TV going nuts uh, yeah. in that little circle with Bill oh no that, that, which is no, a good time for him I've, I'm sure I've saved those pictures and that's anytime he's trying to be like well I, I have the ability to take a step back I'm going to remind him of this it's going to be great because again being petty means never letting anything go one of my favorite things to come out of this this seven seven round mock draft was the buffalo fanatics group now this is funny because when you look at the graphic that they put out on twitter of their combined seven pick bills mocks they call it the founders mock and they do it every year and when you look at it bobby b and pierre two of the patriarchs of the fanatics brand have these little trophies next to their names for what I have to assume means that they won this exercise in the past. Is that, that's a fairly safe assumption, I think. Right, Chris? Yep. Okay. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So when you go to look at Rico's picture, Rico has nothing, nada, zip, not a single win to his name. And that's why the results of actually scoring this are so funny, because Rico didn't just beat the other two of them. He blew them out of the water. It's not even close. Uh, Rico finished with a score of 304. Pierre finished with 343. Bobby finished with 463. I think that's wow. the highest point. To, like, I got this idea from another group of people who've done this, and that was the highest point total they'd ever heard of. So, Bobby, you're, you're Do you like, think I can beat it? You're like Neil Armstrong. You're, you're the first man to land on 463 mock draft points. Do you think I can beat that? We're going to do this next year, and I'm going to do it. Chris, I, I don't know. We're going to, at the end of the show, we'll revisit this idea and we'll find out. But here's what I love is that Rico won by default because he's the only one who didn't put an undrafted free agent player in his top 100. Like, you took undrafted players and stuck them in your top 100. You're going to lose every time. (laughs) Bobby did it not once but twice, which I think helped him set the point total record for history. I mean, I reached out to him, right? I reached out to Rico, and, and I said, listen, man, you, you need to demand that, like Birdman once famously said, I think on Hot 97, that they put some damn respect on Rico's name and give him a damn trophy because he embarrassed these guys this time around. I mean, it, it's, it, it's painful to know that to this point he hasn't won, and he won this one by such a wide margin. He did, and I like his draft, too. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it now. I'm, uh, so I'm looking at the perspective like kind of 50-50. Half of me is like in on what you're talking about where we're being petty here and we're kind of blasting people who sucked at this. <laughs> and, then, and then I'm also, but I'm also looking at the draft and saying, all right, man, and, uh, you know, do I like their draft itself? And with Rico's, uh, no, I don't know, maybe somebody helped them. So <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just messing with you, Rico. No, but I, I like his draft. I mean, he, he, Schwartz, he got in the fourth round. He had him. Nazar Dean in the third while well, he went in the sixth. I think McDuffie, what's he got him in the fifth? Yeah, man. I, but, Jason but, Noah so is the guy saying- I, I would have I taken Jason Noah. So if I'm looking at the quality of the mock draft you put out, I, I personally like it too. 
And it's worth noting that in terms of picking the first round draft pick, he was only off by one point. He's the only person to come that close to correctly prognosticating the first over, you know, our first round pick, which probably didn't hurt him either. But to your point, yeah, his draft is interesting in the sense that you you would take that. You looking at it, if that was the draft, I'm sure the average fan would look at that and go, this helps us both now and in the future. The fact that Bobby ended up with 463 points and he was only off by two points in the first round, <laughs> that tells you how bad he was the rest of the draft because Joe Tyron he had in the first round. He only went two picks after. Yeah, so. things, Bobby, if you're out there, man, things really fell apart for you quick. <laughs> <laughs> Better luck next year. Better luck next year. And so I'm going to crack a fresh beer as we turn a page. And now we, I want to look at the first round mocks. Okay. When you look at this, this was an undertaking. It really was because I had to take the entire first round as it was drafted. I pulled in the full first round mocks from Greg Thompson, Bruce Nolan, Matt Perino, Sal Capaccio. And then I said, you know what? I need to, I need to widen things a little bit. And I said, you know what I want to do is I want to go out and I want to get some people we know. So I pulled in Elf Arteaga from the our AFC's Roundup podcast. Three, yard, main, three yards per carry. He's a mainstay over there, and the draft is one of his key focuses. Like, that's something he prides himself on, his draft analysis. So I pulled in his mock. And then I said, you know what would help is if we got some national corollaries and pulled some national guys in to try to give some kind of comparison to how the Buffalo guys did. So I got Chris Sims and Ben Albright, two names that every football fan should know. And then, kind of on a lark, I said, okay, I see that there's this first-timer, this uh, Jake Cranston, host of the Ending the Drought podcast that just recently started out here. Uh, it's relatively new. He's kind of a newcomer to this. And I thought it was interesting. Okay, here's a guy who just started content creation. Let's pull him in. And then I found Andy Anderson who literally tweeted his mock draft. He's just a, a fan, a listener of Bruce Nolan's, who tweeted a mock draft at him. And I said, okay, this gives me a nice, healthy cross-section of the mock draft community. Okay, the, 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 there's, It's enough that it's manageable, but it's not so much that I can't score it, and it's, it's not so little that I can't get a good feeling for mock drafts in general and how things might go. So when you look this over with me, there's some trends that I noted. Now, Brandon Bean made some comments pre-draft to Adam Shine that because of inconclusive medical evaluation, some players with flags that in the past might have been looked over in, in a draft like this not only might be downgraded, but could be removed from the team's board altogether. Well, GMs felt that way, fans did not take that under a strong enough advisement. Some of the biggest anchors to our creators' scores were players that fell dramatically because of health concerns, and there was a few others who didn't fall as far as other people might have thought. I mean, Tevin Jenkins and his hip injury, I was shocked. Weren't you to see Tevin Jenkins just plummeting down the draft board? Yeah, for sure. He's one guy. Um, another one is uh, Aziz Ojolari. He was a defensive end that a lot of people had not just amongst these guys that, that you have here that, that you've discussed, but I've seen a lot of other mock drafts too where he was, in a lot of cases, the, maybe the second defensive end off the board. He went down, and also Landon Dickerson, I think, was another guy who would have been a first-rounder for sure had it not been for uh, for some of these red flags. Then, of well, course, I'm uh, actually that, surprised he went as high in the second round as he did, though. Like That was a guy yeah. that they were talking about potentially being available to the Bills in their second-round pick. Meanwhile, uh, that uh, Jermaine uh, uh, Owusu-Kamor. Yeah, Owusu-Kamor. Yeah. J-O-K is what we're going to call him. He was taken right. by literally all but one of our full first-round panelists, and he fell all the way to, what, the late second? Yeah, he lasted to pick 52. He went to Cleveland. He's one of those guys where we didn't even know about this until after the draft. Like, it was, it was under one of the under-the-radar kind of red flag deals with his heart. I didn't I didn't know about that. I didn't hear anything about that. I don't think most people did because I I think again in in the scoring that you have amongst these guys and I'm sure many others that you don't. He was a he was a universal top half of uh the first round pick going oh, for in. Sure. In fact, I was on your show a handful of weeks ago before the draft and I didn't really didn't consider him for the Bills because honestly I didn't 
I never thought for a second he'd even be there. Meanwhile, the guy who's just a walking injury report, Caleb Farley, he somehow goes 22. He somehow comes off the board with the 22nd overall pick, even though the dude hasn't played in a year and he's had nothing but surgeries. Surgery after surgery after surgery. So it, that obviously threw a wrench into some things, but it was interesting how people didn't take enough credence of the idea that, hey, players with injuries, GMs could cool right down on them. Yeah. And then, it only takes one, though. It only takes well, one. That's you know? it. And then what I noticed in everybody's mock draft who, who was involved in this, the back 13 picks seemed to be the ones that tanked the people who sucked the hardest, which checks out, I think. I mean, Mac Jones was the only player picked in the top 10 by anybody who netted them a double-digit point, point total. That's it. Yeah. He was the only one for any of our participants. I think that underscores for everybody here that all of this drama people try to incorporate at the top of the draft it's almost pretty much a foregone conclusion to anybody who's paid any kind of attention. Who's getting drafted within, like, you know Kyle Pitts is probably too good of a prospect for for Atlanta to pass up. So most people put him at four. And sure enough, that's the way it played out. I mean, I just don't understand why bother hyping the top of the draft up so much when really it's everything that seems to happen after, like, pick 20 that really changes the course of the draft. Yeah, injuries for sure. Um, guys slide down, and when they do slide, like if you're projected to be a top 20 pick and it ends up being injuries while you're not, it's not usually, with Farley being the exception, of course, usually you slide from 20 into the 30s or 40s, or in the case of J.O.K., even into the to the 50s. So that's where the points in your system um, can add up really quick. And also a guy that you discussed, which I completely and utterly agree with you, Trevin, Trevin Jenkins. I, I think he really hurt a, a couple guys' uh, point totals too, falling as as far as he did. I, I definitely did not see that coming. So when we look at the results of this, now that we've talked about it enough, the final results. Chris, I almost wish we had a drum roll drop to throw in here. The national corollaries. Now, in order to set a baseline expectation for how our local guys did, I, I pulled those national pundits in, and the results were somewhat surprising. Ben Albright. Now, Ben's one of the better social media follows out there for, for sports information. I mean, he's well-read, he takes pride in his craft, and he dunks all over that nut job, Dan Saleo. Whenever that guy, I mean, recently, like pre-draft, he was using himself as a as a source. He would say something and then tur- say something cockamamie on his radio show. And then later in the afternoon, turn around and say, according to sources, this got said just to get social media attention. But the source was literally him a few hours later earlier, just blowing smoke out his ass. And Ben Albright has no problem getting off the couch and just dunking all over this idiot, which is a level of petty because they had taken professional shots at each other. You know, he took a professional shot at Ben Albright and Albright's never let it go. Like he ignores him. But the second he finds an opportunity to dig in on him, he absolutely will. And that is something we here at the Rockpile Report embrace. He had just four selections in the whole process that earned him double digit points. And he finished with the lowest score of 170. Okay, which isn't bad at all, but because he's a national guy, I almost assume he should do better than everybody else, right? Yeah, I would say so, but looking at his his numbers, it's really two guys. So he finished with 170 and 64 of those 170, which is more than a third, are because of two guys, uh, J.O.K. and Aguilari, who felt Again, I, the, I think. And anyway. again, those are guys that everyone was pretty much in agreement pre-draft should be first-round draft picks. Absolutely, so, absolutely. So you don't fault his process at all. In fact, I'd say he did one of the best jobs you could have. On the other hand, you have NBC's Chris Sims. That for as good as Ben did, he did just as poorly. But should we be surprised? I mean, his final score was 200. Well, where did he finish? 200 and... Two, 70. 270. Now, this is the guy who once said that all time Drew Brees finished, uh, what, 10th? They were doing like a where does Drew Brees rank all time as far as being a quarterback in the NFL. And they said that he ranked 10th behind Roger Staubach. And it's like, I, I see, I know what you're doing. I see what you're doing, but also that's dumb. I just don't agree. <laughs> like, it's not going to, behind Terry Bradshaw. You have him behind yeah. Bradshaw and Star, Starback. You're an idiot. You, yeah, come on, man. Stop it. Right. 
I mean, his his final score made a lot of our local guys look like rock stars. And in terms of local local mock drafts, that brings us to the crux of this exercise. Our Buffalo Bills-centric producers of mock drafts. Now, before we give you the winner and loser, let's take a look at how the rest of our group fared. First of all, Elf Artiago, host of the Three Yards Per Carry podcast, he finished with 216, which was surprising. Not because he had a bad score, but if, like you said about Ben Albright, if it wasn't for him picking Christian Barmore and Jalen Mayfield in the first round, he would have beaten Albright because those two combined for 69 of his total points. I mean, he could have hit as low as a 157. So I'll drink to that, Elf. You did a nice job. Not that far behind are two men who couldn't be at more opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of hair game, Sal Capaccio and Matt Perino, who tied at 199. I mean, <laughs> what? Chris, 199 is respectable in this, right? When yeah. You, now that you've seen the scores, you see how all the data is laid out. Yeah. It's respectable. Mean, yeah. If, you know, I would assume for if Perino is near the top, if he won this, I would assume you would have paid for his next haircut. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe I I would have paid for his next haircut. I would have offered to do something nice for him. But that's not the way it shook out. In terms of podcasters, I was a little surprised. I mean, Elf badly botched two picks and ended up at 216. While Bill's fan favorite podcaster, Bruce Nolan, only edged him out by a single point with 215, despite not having any one glaring miss like Mayfield. Chris, you love Bruce. You enjoy his podcast a lot. Yeah, I listen to it when I can on the weekends. Did you expect him to do better than just average in all this? I mean, he's not... uh, I mean, he doesn't get paid for this, but, uh, you know, he did his best. Wasn't wasn't bad. I didn't even look at his mock draft. Yeah, I know. Maybe we can convince him to sing a song about it sometime. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I, I've I've heard him. Say, I know what you're talking about. That's why I'm laughing. I I have heard him singing on, uh, <laughs> and yeah. rapping for too. I, Chris loves I, his I musical podcast. <laughs> well, he used uh, Sir Mix a Lot lyrics to describe uh, Russo. He said he was long and he's strong, and he's down to get the friction on. <laughs> and he said it in such an analytical way. Yeah, I could. <laughs> I hate you so much. See, well, you know, the thing about Bruce, too, is he's the only one of anybody um, in this exercise, whether it was podcasters, local, national, whatever. He actually started out on fire. He got the first seven picks right. He's the only one who did that. It all went to hell for him starting around a little past the uh, the midway point around one. Starting with pick 18, he took Tevin Jenkins, and which was 22 off, and then JOK, which was 34 and yeah, just from there consistently, it was, you know, eight to. See, to see now the thing is, I know all of off. these things without even having to look at the sheet because he was messaging me about it. Yeah, that's right. Living rent free in Bruce's head when he found out that I was, he was like, oh, so you guys, you guys are actually going to do this. Like, you're not just joking. And then all of a sudden, the smart people started paying attention. They're like, well, did you think about this? And what, what about this? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Now that you know that two idiots are going to get together on a podcast and try to dunk on <laughs> How are you doing this? You actually, you're concerned now that there's a little skin in the game. Newcomer to the podcast game, Jake Cranston. Uh, He did well. He gave it the old college try. And as a newcomer to this, I'll give him something of a pass for his 268 point score. I will. I think it's respectable, especially for someone who's getting into this and someone who's trying to balance like, hey, I want to do something. I want to, mock drafts are popular. I'm going to put this out there. I'm going to start collaborating with other people. Like it's a, it's a good thing, and he try, He really did, again, he tried. Uh, he made some mistakes, and mistakes were made, but some of them were the same mistakes other people made. You know, the, put, putting putting Owusu Koromora in the first round, Ojolari, like, Asai might have been his biggest mistake. And outside of yeah. that, and it had it not been for that, he would have been fine. He actually yeah. probably would have finished right down around Elf and Bruce and the rest of these guys. <laughs> I mean, yes, he did draft six players, who ultimately went in the second round. I mean, yeah, let's not miss words here. That's, Marshall was a, Marshall at the end of the first round. There's a reach. To, uh, to Baltimore. That, that was a big reach. That was a big miss. But the important thing that he can hang his hat on here is that he didn't lose. He didn't right. lose. No, 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 no. And that brings us to tonight's winner and loser. The loser of the first ever 2021 Mocking the Mock Drafts 
Cover one's Greg Thompson with a score of 296. <laughs> wow, you suck at this. It's kind of funny when you think that somehow in trying to prognosticate seven rounds of Bill's picks, he scored half of he, he scored approximately half of what he did just trying to pick 32. That pretty much everyone agrees like half of these we already know about. <laughs> Literally half of this score. Trying to trying to draft guys for a full draft, he somehow did better than the first round. Am I crazy for laughing at that? No. <laughs> I'm just getting a whole kick. I'm picturing Greg. I Obviously, I know Greg well, just like you guys do. And I've, t- I've talked to him many times, and he's it – it, it, so going back to this whole premise uh, of your exercise, mocking the mocks, that you do and making fun of the mock drafts, Greg losing gives what you do credibility because <laughs> Greg is a very smart, educated Buffalo Bills fan who spends a lot of time getting to know these prospects. I don't want to say like necessarily studying film, but certainly reads up on these prospects and spends a lot of time watching highlight tapes and things like that. So he puts together well-informed opinions and to see him bomb and, and get beat like this and finish dead last. It just, it does lend credibility to your theory of, of just how stupid mock drafts end up ultimately being. I mean, and it's not his fault. I mean, it kind of is. He dra- he took seven players that went in the second round. He was the only one to take offensive tackle Sam Cosme. Nobody else but him picked that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's, he's The cheese stands alone on that one. I mean, look at this, Chris. Another one of the quote-unquote smart people brought down by a simple mock draft. If I know Greg, he's going to drown his sorrow over his loss in a 16, in about 16 ounces of prime ribeye. But the shame will hopefully make it taste like choice. Fool this man! And that brings us to tonight's winner, Mr. Andy Anderson. Who the hell is that? And that's the question I've been asking myself all week. Who the hell is this guy? The Bills-related person who scored the best in the mock draft challenge? Not a reporter with team access who studies football for a living. Not a podcaster who spends hours of his free time pouring over football data and researching the draft. Not one of the smart people. Just a regular friggin' guy with a simple algorithm on the draftnetwork.com who happens who happens to study and work in the field of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Pat, isn't there something deliciously poetic about that? Well, first and foremost, when I looked at your chart and I saw the name Andy Anderson, I went scrambling around. I'm like, who is Andy Anderson? I started looking for podcasters and blogs, and then I'm looking on my Twitter and I, the name sounded familiar to me, but I couldn't connect this guy being with anybody because ultimately, obviously, he wasn't. Yeah, this is uh, this is really cool. Actually, <laughs> I'm looking at this that a that a fan ended up winning this contest. Um, he, I'll tell you, he did well. And the first thing that really stands out to me is he's the only guy I could see at least on this list, anyway, or if not the only one of the very few who did not take. JOK in the first round of his mock draft. So he didn't get hit with that 35 points that a lot of people did. He did not take uh, I don't think he took Ojolari. No, he didn't take Ojolari in the first round. So those are two guys just right there alone. That's 50, 60 points that a lot of people took one, if not both those guys that really suffered. And to this, to Andy Anderson's credit, man, he, he didn't take either of them. But maybe to me, the most impressive thing of all is so when the Raiders, probably the biggest shock of the first round, I think, to the to the smart, and I'm using air quotes here, the smart football fan, is when the Raiders came up and, and they took Alex Leatherwood, or Leatherwood with, uh, I think it was pick 18. Um, no, nobody really saw that coming, but... Well, I, I mean, it's at, Mike Mayock and the Raiders. I mean, nobody... Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I look at the... But yeah, but I look at the... Uh, I look at Eddie Anderson's mock, and he, he had him going one pick later. So that wasn't a surprise to him whatsoever. <laughs> I don't know if you can even call it that. I mean, who knew unless you were somebody who really, really was petty or really had a low opinion of the Raiders? Could you have prognosticated that they would trade up for Alex Leatherwood? Yeah. No, nobody's doing that. And this is just it. It underscores my belief that this is less a science and more like picking the NCAA tournament brackets and that 
the more you know, the more likely you are to probably lose to the girl who picked her teams based on how many of her ex-boyfriend's names are loosely associated with the schools and their uniform colors. Like, that's it. You're probably going to get beat by that person the more you try to educate yourself on this. And so in that way, (laughs) taking any of this too seriously, not the contents of the class. You know, Chris, Chris, that's why I love what we do over here. We sit down with analysts and we pick their brains about the quality of the position groups, the different players that, you know, maybe we have an affinity for. Trying to figure out what the constitution of the class is as a whole but thinking, but kind of getting away from this idea that you can prognosticate any of it with any sort of degree of accuracy. It's not only flawed, but it's hilarious. It's a hilarious concept. I know I can't stop people from doing it, but I want you all to know that rest assured, we will be here waiting to deliver accountability. We will be here. Now, I reached out to Andy. He was, first of all, shocked that he won. He was like, what are you talking about? So I explained it to him and I asked him to give me a victory speech because what good is winning if you can't take a victory lap and rub it in the faces of the people you beat? I don't know if I need to tell you guys this. If you haven't already been able to tell from years of listening to our podcast, I'm not only a sore loser, I'm also a sore winner. Like that's just, I just believe in that. So this is Andy Anderson's victory speech. I clearly am Bill's Mafia Nostradamus. So I'm predicting Josh Allen breaks his records from last year. The defense is back to 2019 form and they blow out every playoff opponent celebrating a Super Bowl victory, (laughs) celebrating a Super Bowl victory midway through the third quarter. They will beat the brakes off Miami in the divisional, which is a hot take, and sack Mahomes five times in the AFC championship game, finally shutting out the Rams in the Super Bowl. Hey, I I love the confidence. I love the fact that he goes, I'm Nostradamus. I know what I'm talking about. You guys are dumb. Here's what I think. And the funny thing about his statement there is that I know a lot of smart people who would scoff at that idea. But they can't, they clearly can't mock draft worth a damn. So what do they know? Certainly not enough to question Bill's Nostradamus. Yeah, I, and I, I will think drink Andy, to that. Maybe Andy should have quit when he was ahead <laughs> in this mocking the mocks. But yeah, yeah, you're right. And by the way, one thing I, I was wrong about, I, he did take Ojulari. So that was the one thing that he was entirely off about. But yeah, overall, my biggest takeaway from looking at your spreadsheet and what goes into like the key to winning for future years, the Rock Pile Report, uh, mocking the mock contests, is it's all about picks like 20 from 22 on, it seems like that's where the majority of the damage is done. That's where if you could get yourself in that like three to eight point at worst range, you're pretty good. You're going to score well. Whereas the people who who did really poorly, like Chris Sims and uh, and Greg, they, they they really tanked it really bad after like between like picks like 22 to, to 30, 31. That's where that's where they took their beatings. I love that you subconsciously knew to end with Greg. And not go Greg and Ben all Greg and Chris Sims. You started Chris Sims and ended with Greg. I don't know. It just made me feel good. Like, I love well, it. <laughs> one, one quick little side note, too, about Ben Albright. Um, I talked to him after the draft, and he still to this moment is convinced that had Travis Etienne not what many people thought was going to Jacksonville, surprisingly at 25, he's still confident, despite the fact the way the, the draft ended up going for the Bills, taking two defensive ends for the future. He still is quite confident that the Bills would have drafted Travis Etienne had he been on the board at 30. And that's part of this speculation process that we'll never know. What I do know is that a complete nobody just blew out the field in terms of <laughs> Buffalo Bills mock drafters. Andy, we raise a glass to you. I'll drink. Chris, we drink to the man. And so there you have it, folks. The end of this phase of the NFL season. And that is, unless you listen to our podcast every week, <laughs> we've got a summer full of shenanigans and bullshit planned. We're going to be chatting with my uh, one-time arch nemesis and former Bills media member, Jerry Sullivan. We're going to teach the guys from After the Snap, uh, Reed and Blake Ferguson, a thing or two about podcasting. That's going to be weird that you're going to teach them about podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> Me te- hey, I'm shaping the minds of America's youth. 
Why don't you just stick to doing that with your own kid? We're going to have our first ever series of live podcasts planned, so keep an eye out for that. We're going to have some crossover episodes with Buffalo's best podcasters covering everything from more of our shenanigans and petty behavior, grilling tips, Bill's roster talk. Fight the... Fight the urge to check out, okay? I promise, if nothing else, we're going to make you laugh, we'll have some sports content, and we'll get you over the hump here in the summer. And it's going to start next week, because next week, Pat, and I don't know if you know this, is our 300th episode. (laughs) Really? Yes. That's awesome. 300 podcasts, we're going to ring it in in style. Pat, before we get out of here, where can everybody find you on social, and where can they find find your website? Well, you know, normally I would give all that information, yada, 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 you know, go check out Talk Buffalo Podcast, but I invite everyone to go find this Andy Anderson guy on Twitter and, and go follow him because I, I think I'm going to do that. Give right him a congratulations. I want you all to tweet. At, for, on behalf of the Rockefeller Report, I want everybody listening to this to go to Twitter, find Andy Anderson, and tweet him a congratulations. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> He's more than earned it. Guys, this has been fun, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's Pat Moran. And this has been your Rockpile Report.